Hey everyone, I'm Jim Cook, Market Relationship Manager with Bergen KDV and 2021-22 President of Cedar Rapids Downtown Rotary Service Club. I'm excited to welcome you to our new podcast series called Rotary Roundtable, which we created to tell our club's story in a new and different way. In this episode, we're putting the international in Rotary International and looking at how Rotary builds friendships on a global scale. We'll talk with Rotarians Jack Evans, Lee Clancy, Bob Casimore, and Joe Locke about some of our club's international projects and the lifelong connections they've made over the years as part of Downtown Rotary. Our conversation is moderated by Downtown Rotarian board member, Adam Moore. We hope this podcast expands your view of what Rotary is and how we can affect change on a global scale. Enjoy. Hey, thanks everybody for joining us today. We're so excited to have you for this discussion about uh, international service and international connections. I want to start with just introductions. Uh, Jack, maybe you kick us off. Thanks, Adam. It's great to be here today. Uh, my name is Jack Evans. Uh, I think I celebrated my 39th year in Rotary uh, this past year, and I was president of the organization in 1989. Great. Joe. Thanks, Adam. I'm Joe Locke. I'm the International Service Committee Chair for Rotary and have been for the last five years, and I am the president-elect of the CR Downtown Rotary Club. Great. Lee. Thanks, Adam. I'm Lee Clancy, and I, too, have been in Rotary quite a while. I've also been president of Rotary, um, gone to the International Conference, and also uh, have chaired one of the international projects. Great. Uh, I'm Bob Casmore. I've been in Rotary for 41 years. I've never been president. I have been uh, chairman of the Committee on International Relations in uh, 1990 and 92, I believe it was. Okay, great. Well, we have so much uh, insight and experience here. I, I love this. I wanted to open it up a little bit. I've, I think as being a member of the club myself for only about five years, I've already heard some incredible international stories. And I know, Jack, you've got a couple that I've heard a few times, but I'd love to have you share with our readers just about your experiences, you know, visiting overseas. What kind of, what's that like to go, you know, to another Rotary? Well, it's been, it's been very special. I've had two uh, occasions I'd, I'd like to highlight. One, we were in Prague and uh, found where Rotary was meeting and went to the uh, restaurant and went in and there wasn't a soul in the room <laughs> and realized that I had an old directory and they had moved but this gentleman came up to me and he pointed at my rotary pin and then he looked me right in the eye and he gave me hand signals because neither one of us understood each <laughs> other's language on where the rotary is being two blocks this way and one block this way so that's where I went and had you a found it? delightful meeting uh, of that rotary club my highlight, however, though, was I was on an economic development trip to Russia. This was in the, in the late 80s. That sounds like a contradiction in terms, an economic development <laughs> trip to Russia, but um, um, attended, and it was in Siberia, believe it or not. It was with a group of academics that had come over here, and I had met with them as part of Priority One, so they invited us to go back. Well, really, nobody wanted to go, but um, I talked to my wife and decided that this, this could be fun. So there was a group of uh, five of us that went. Um, the experience in Siberia was, was, was difficult because it is a third world country. But on the way back, we stopped in Moscow to catch a flight back to the U.S. And Bill Munsell, 
who was a, an executive uh, for a broadcast or for an advertising company here in town, had been dispatched there to set up their operation in Moscow. So I looked him up, and we set this up before, and he said, fine, we'll go out for dinner. And Moscow had just established a Rotary Club. Oh. So we met in his office. He'd arranged a driver. We drove in a pounding rainstorm to this restaurant and walked in to a Rotary Club of 35 members. I had a big advantage because my wife's father uh, was the president of Russell Hampton, which is the supplier of all things Rotary in terms of ties and jackets and hats. And he had sent me uh, dated inventory that I had hauled to Siberia <laughs> and brought back with me. So I was prepared for this group. But we went in, we were welcomed. Um, the dinner was $20, and they wanted a $20 bill. Uh, green bag. They wanted green stuff. So paid, um, had a delightful meal, and it came time for the speaker. And the speaker was a gentleman that had studied uh, religious history and buildings in Moscow and gave the talk that was translated into English um, by a very eloquent young lady who Bill Munsell, after the meeting was over, went and hired her to be his personal <laughs> translator. So a connection of Rotary. Yeah, perfect. But um, he gave this talk. Uh, she translated. It was, it was interesting. But during the talk, uh, and I should interject here that there were, there were 35 members in the club, but there were 11 different countries represented in the room. Uh, because they were a new club. And so, but during the talk, I kept hearing this undercurrent behind me and talking, talking. And I thought, boy, that's really kind of rude. Well, then I listened a bit, and it was a gentleman from the club who was translating the Russian into French because the gentleman sitting next to him was from France. <laughs> and uh, I thought to myself, you know, this is really... Rotary International, yeah. um, and it was it was a delightful evening. I'd said something to the president of the club that I had all these gifts, and anyway, after the speaker, he called me up and uh, said that I was from the U.S. and and then I handed out all these gifts. Well, you'd have thought I was Santa Claus at Christmas, you know, but tie pins, you know, that were four inches wide. Uh, yeah. My father-in-law couldn't get rid of these, so for me to give them away <laughs> was uh, was a real treat. But it, it just, it, Rotary is international. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was, it was a very moving experience for me. And to be in the country of Russia mm -hmm. and to do this, and this was, this was their first club. It had been written up in the Rotarian magazine. That's why I suggested to uh, and, and Bill Munsell uh, thoroughly enjoyed it and found himself a translator and took me back to the hotel and I came home. So it was a treat. I mean, the, I think it's great to hear the, the kind of rotary camaraderie on an inter international level. I mean, can you talk a little bit about, I mean, you're, you're a, a, an American coming to Moscow. I, yeah. Can we, I don't know about Russian. I, I need to study my history, per, perhaps. I'm not sure what our uh, relations were at the time, but I mean... What was kind of the, the environment for well, you in? Well, it's ironic that, you know, I just tell you that story with what's happened over the last three months. Yeah, absolutely. And um, 
it wasn't that way in the room. Yeah. Uh, in the room, I felt welcomed. Uh, it was very warm. Uh, people introduced themselves, and uh, not all of them spoke English, but some of them did. Yeah. So we could have a conversation at dinner. And the fact that there were 11 other countries represented in the room, I think, was sort of emblematic of what really Rotary is. It's so, like a UN meeting on a certain level with all the translation uh, going Sort on. of a, a, a UN session, but... <laughs> Um, we need Jim Leach here, who's a Russian scholar, to explain <laughs> yes. what was going on uh, that year and uh, if there was detente or <laughs> rapprochement or whatever the, the word is over there. But has anybody else? I, uh, has anybody else been involved with the kind of uh, Rotary clubs in other countries, or just your experience? Has anybody attended other international? Well, sessions? just to tag on to Jack on yeah. the uh, Russians, that was during the Glasnost Perestroika era, just the start of it which translated basically was Russia's uh, term of trying to become free or freer. Open to the... A little open. They were very open. But that was the start of it right about that time. And the Russian citizenry, the people were so excited about it. And Vlasta, or Patricia, your translator that Bill hired, was the young lady that later helped us with the Just for Julia yeah. Uh, and she was uh, so capable. And if I didn't know better, I would have thought she probably was KGB because she <laughs> just seemed to be able to get anything accomplished that you needed. And the building, you know, that uh, Bill lived in mm-hmm. uh, was basically an American, quote, building. And they had a grocery store in it, and they had... Uh, a dry goods store and a little clothing store. They had everything in that building. Hmm. And they were they were very cautious or very careful when they'd go outside, which I'm sure you found, Jack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bob, I think uh, just speaking of the Just for, Just for Julia kind of project, I'd love to have you talk about that because that's such a, a big piece of our, our club's kind of international uh, history or, or activities. Okay, well, thank you. Uh, I was chairman of the... Uh, the international projects at that time, and we didn't have one. And actually, I had no thought of finding one in Russia. Jan, my wife, was uh, chair of the uh, Cedar Rapids Community School Foundation at the time. And uh, Tom Ecker, who was a Rotarian and former president of both our club and the new West Side Club, uh, was with the school board. And they put together a tour to Russia, and Jan was also on the Mercy Medical Center Foundation Board, or not, well, the foundation, but also the trustees, and uh, Jim Tinker, who was a Rotarian, and I believe, I think he was 93 as president, I believe, but uh, uh, he and Jan, uh, they talked to uh, Tom Ecker, and Jim volunteered all of these supplies and things, medical supplies that we could handle, and we had a group of us that uh, went over. And it all started out where uh, Jan and David Hupt, a physician here in Cedar Rapids, an anesthesiologist, were invited into a to this hospital where they made all these donations of needles and single-use hypodermic needles. And they were told very quickly, oh, no, they will be used many, many times because they they had none. 
they they didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. And this hospital, which was supposed to be the cream of the crop hospital in Stavropol, we walked in and it was in July and it was about 90 degrees. The operating suite was in this old hospital building. All the windows were wide open, no screens, lace curtains, uh, cracked linoleum floor, and an operating table. Wow. And they were going to do open heart surgery in the next half hour. So uh, both David and Jan were invited to sit in, and they both deferred because they knew they were going to see uh, someone's life terminated. And uh, uh, fortunately, the doctors were very good and made it through. But uh, that was televised by Russian TV, and it was put on the news that afternoon. And when we arrived back at our hotel, this young lady and uh, this, the, her little daughter, who was 10 at the time, were sitting on the front steps waiting for us. And um, it was Julia Sakharova, the little 10-year-old girl who was a child prodigy violinist, and her mother, uh, Marina, who was a concert pianist, a touring concert pianist. And she wanted us to hear Julia uh, perform, which we did, and she was very good. She said, I want you to take her back with you to the United States because they wouldn't do that surgery in Russia because it wasn't, quote, life-threatening. And we said, well, we'll see what we can do. And what, I'm sorry, what, Bob, what was... She, she had a severe cleft palate, no roof uh, in her mouth, no roof of the mouth at all. She had to wear a steel plate uh, to eat and drink and things because so that she could swallow. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we came back to the United States, and we stopped at Bill Munsell's in, in Moscow, which Vlasta was very, she picked us up at the airport and uh, took us up to Bill's building, and they, they were uh, very, very helpful, and we used them as a uh, interface with Russia because you really didn't have any other way to, to talk on telephones or any, it just wasn't available. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it took about nine months to uh, uh, finally arrange to get them here. Julie Hender, a, a one of our club members, owned Destinations Unlimited. She stepped up and supplied two round-trip tickets from Moscow to uh, O'Hare in Chicago. Uh, uh, Vinny Nose, uh, president in 62, I believe, or 64, 1964, we flew in in his plane and picked them up at O'Hare. and. They were just thrilled because they thought everybody in the United States traveled this way, you know, with Vinny's, <laughs> Vinny's jet. And uh, so uh, they they were well received. And uh, I w- went down to the university hospitals before that and, and uh, met with John Colleton, who was a good friend through the uh, old Chamber of Commerce in, in uh, Iowa City, and uh, asked John if they could supply the needed uh, surgery and all that sort of thing. And I didn't realize it at the time, but the, I, the University of Iowa hospitals were uh, ranked number two in the nation in this particular surgery. So we just lucked out and really had experts doing it. And he said, Bob, I'd be happy to do it, but it's going to take a lot of time because I got to go through the Board of Regents to get approval and all this sort of thing. And so Terry Branstead was our governor at the time, and his secretary. I had worked with them quite a bit through the Iowa Motor Carriers Group, and uh, I called her and told her what I needed. And about 10 minutes later, we got a fax letter signed by Governor Branstead approving it. 
And John said, Bob, you don't realize I worked three and three to four years on a pro project just to get money. And he yeah. said, here, we got it in 10 minutes. <laughs> so, wow. so it worked well, and they did a beautiful job, both on the surgery and the dental work and all those kinds of things, and uh, brought her back. And they stayed here for about uh, almost three months. And uh, we arranged housing and that sort of thing, sort of took turns with that. And uh, then they went back to uh, Russia. And uh, times changed then in the next few years in Russia. They spent time in these uh, one of these large uh, condo apartment Russian concrete buildings and what have you, where there would be families, like four or five families in a unit and uh, a lot of drug addiction. And little, little Julia would walk out in the morning, there'd be a dead body in the hallway of some somebody that overdosed in this. It was really traumatic. Yeah. And uh, they contacted us again later, and we, we uh, had the Just for Julia Rotary Project as our international project, our downtown Rotarians did and um, supported uh, the, the financial, and we raised money and that sort of thing. And churches and other other people chimed in. And uh, so then Julia decided she wanted to come to the United States, and uh, she did, and she enrolled in Oberlin. She got a scholarship wow. in the Oberlin Musical Conservatory, graduated in four years in Eng all the courses in English, written and, and uh, spoken and uh, graduated with honors and then toured as, as a uh, performer just within that area and then got a full ride scholarship to Juilliard, and, uh, which was really good. But any time that your kids or somebody, your name is a two-syllable word like dad or Bob, you know it's going to cost you money. <laughs> and uh, she called Marina, our mother. She said, everything is paid for except room and board. They had to find their own room and board outside of Juilliard because okay. Juilliard is a school, doesn't have any do uh, dormitories. They're, they're right down in New York City. Mm -hmm. But it's $10,000 a semester. So we had to come up with that. And she finished the year, graduated with honors, and today is married and... Uh, lives in St. Louis, uh, is on the staff of the University of Missouri, and still tours worldwide as mm. an artist with a Missouri contingency of a quartet. She has performed with the uh, Orchestra Iowa uh, with uh, Tim Hankowitz yeah. and so forth. So Also a member of downtown. Also Missouri. a member of downtown, yeah. And uh, she has come up, visited us twice in this last year with... Uh, Jan, my wife, that, that has some medical issues, and she's come up to visit her. That's so, a, that's such an enduring, great story. It is. About it's been, it's been and she's forty-three years old now. Wow! So that tells you how fast time goes. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how the how downtown Rotary kind of engaged? You're talking about the Just for Julia project, and we're raising money. You know, what did the membership? What was the buy-in like? What were people passionate oh. about? It it was amazing. Every everybody really was interested in it. I think Jack. It was right after Jack's presidency, and Jack, you can probably speak to that better than I can. Just knowing what uh, how it it worked out. Uh, I think uh, Gary Peterson was president the year we brought Julia back, but I know you were still involved because 
uh, Gary and then Mike Donahue followed you, as I recall. That's right. And then I think Gary was there when Julia, and then Vinnie Nose, and then Tom Feld, all good friends, and every, everybody just gathered around. And uh, uh, we raised funds, and uh, uh, everybody contacted churches and other other uh, uh, groups that really stepped up. And mm -hmm. whatever we needed, people seemed to step up and, and donate to them. So it was, it was really a... a Rotary should be very, very proud of how they affected someone's life mm -hmm. so dramatically. Yeah. And everybody else, because a lot of people have really enjoyed her music. Yeah, absolutely. That's a beautiful story. I thought I heard Jim getting up to leave, so I was just going to oh. give him a... <laughs> uh, Lee, I wanted to just talking about impacting people's lives. I know I'd love to have you talk about A Promise of Health, because I know that was um, such a, a great project, an important project. Uh, again, for Downtown Rotary, I'd love to just have you kind of tell that story of, of how we got involved and your, your role in that. Uh, Promise of Health was an initiative that came to us from outside of Rotary. Okay. Uh, it was first um, envisioned by a couple named Barb and Bill Grinnell, who are actually not even from Cedar Rapids, but they had friends here, Mary and Carl Carson, and the Carsons were the ones that brought it to Rotary as an idea for us to participate in. Um, the whole concept revolved around the fact that in the entire Yucatan, Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico, mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of Mayan live in very, very poor conditions without any access to health care whatsoever. And they uh, envisioned a project that would take health care to the pueblos or villages mm -hmm. of the of the Yucatan uh, with a, a, a portable mobile clinic. And um, they asked if we would be involved with not only uh, getting this clinic put together, but also getting it actually to Mexico and then uh, raising some money to hire doctors. and. And we decided, the Rotary decided that that sounded like it would be a really interesting and helpful mm -hmm. project to be involved with. So um, we ended up getting a, an old RV donated that was completely outfitted as a mobile clinic. Okay. And um, it was then sent down to uh, the Port of New Orleans and um, in it, were, it, it was completely outfitted with every piece of equipment that was necessary to, to, for a doctor to perform just, you know, regular checkups with people. And um, we, we also decided that we would uh, fill these cloth bags with all sorts of school supplies. And we had 500 of them that we were going to give to the children uh, in the Yucatan when we got there because we there was a delegation that was going down to present the um, RV mobile clinic to the to the a delegation from our, our club? Or yes, a delegation from our club and the Grinnells and the Carsons and uh, so that you know there were about 10 of us that went down um, we had planned to have this RV driven from I'm trying to think of the, what the port was in uh north of Merida, but we all met in Merida, and we ended up going to the Rotary Club in Merida, 
and um, talking to Rotary about the Rotary Club of Merida about having them participate in okay. this project as well. And um, it was it was a fascinating experience to go down there because you just unless you get out of your own comfort zone and understand how poor people live and the fact that they literally had no access to health care or really even healthy food um, it, it was it was extraordinary so we all got down to Merida and the um, government in Mexico the Port Authority would not release the RV from the port they wanted a fee and we refused yeah. to pay the fee because everything everything had been donated and so and we kept saying we're volunteers this is a donation it's going to help all these people thousands and thousands of Mayan um, nope they wouldn't release it they didn't release that RV for five months so all of these bags of school supplies and, and equipment and everything we're just sitting in the port for five months I had brought down a couple of extra bags, and so we had them as a, uh, an example of what was going to be coming. But it was so disappointing not to be able to, uh, to be there when the RV arrived. Um, the other, there were uh, two other prongs of this uh, project. Not only was it to uh, deliver healthcare, but it was also to talk about hygiene and cleanliness and um, healthy, healthy and nutritious food. And we had food pack, seed packets uh, at all the schools. They were gonna start planting community gardens, showing the children how to uh, plant healthy food so that they could go back and plant uh, gardens at their homes. Um, it, was, it was a pretty extraordinary project. And um, it went on for, I think about three or four years that we provided um, financial assistance to the doctors. Um, the RV was used when it finally arrived. It was used to go to, out to all these pueblos, and um, it, it over very awful roads. Sure. The the, the uh, streets and roads were, you know, all dirt. Um, and the RV finally gave up the ghost after about three years. <laughs> so then they decided that they would have the doctors live in in a pueblo and they would have what they called medicine wheels where the each doctor was responsible for eight to ten pueblos around the central pueblo and the doctor would then go out and meet with people and um and provide health care and that went on for quite a long time um until they just couldn't get doctors to to volunteer their time to do it mm -hmm. or because we just didn't have the money for it and right now um, they have they've continued on with the project but it's taken a completely different form they have gone farther down south in the Yucatan and um, they have a female doctor right now that and they have built a clinic that is just now getting finished the outside the interior doors are just being put on and it's a clinic where she and her two children will live and they will provide healthcare to uh, as many people as can make it into the clinic mm -hmm. as possible. And um, uh, the Grinnells are still raising money to try to fund this doctor and they've uh, raised money to fund the building of this clinic. So it has been a, a very uh, worthwhile project. It, um, 
it has touched the lives of thousands, literally thousands of people in uh, the Yucatan of, uh, Peninsula of Mexico. So it was, it was a very, I went down twice, and uh, my son, who is a, a director out in uh, California, he put together a, a video that um, was in Spanish and in uh, Mayan with subtitles that told the story of the Mayan people and also the story of Promise of Health. And uh, it, it was about seven, a seven or eight minute video and it was used for a long time to um, help raise money for the project. That's, that's incredible that it's set up such a legacy that it continues today. It's um, continued today. Yeah. I, uh, Leah, if I could use that to springboard to jokes, I think it's interesting hearing some of those challenges and the hiccups that happen and, and some of that stuff in international service, right? Uh, I've had the privilege of serving with, with Joe on, on the board and hearing about some of the international projects that you've worked on and some of the, I don't want to say headaches because I know it's worthwhile, but just some of the challenges. I'm, I'm wondering if you could maybe tell us about some stuff that's going on and just talk through what it's like to organize and try to push this stuff forward when we're thousands of miles away. I think it's so interesting. Well, sometimes it really is a challenge, <clears throat> Adam. So um, the the very first project, international project that I worked on is actually still going on. Okay. Um, and we're not finished yet. And so it was called, we called it Water for Life in Haiti in a small um in a small community with about 30,000 people. And the idea is that they don't have clean drinking water. They don't have latrines. They can't wash their hands. Um, and because there have been multiple projects over the years in Haiti by, by Rotary clubs around the world that failed, uh, Rotary International, which, you know, so this gets down to the, the intricacies of, of making a global grant work. Sure. Um, were really tough to make sure that uh, that we wouldn't fail. And it's still going on um, because since, so this is back in 19, sorry, in, sorry, not 19, <laughs> in uh, 2017, okay. um, <clears throat> we started the project. And after 584 um, geological and hydrological wells that were, in other words, core samples being done. Yeah. What happened was multiple times that there were projects that were done and they would put wells in and the water would be not suitable to drink typically because it's either too too dirty and there wasn't proper filtration or more apt uh, to happen would be that it, there, too much saline, too, it was too salty to drink. Okay. And so the, we started by drilling all of these core samples and, you know, uh, small wells and then um, the government government was overthrown, and then the miniature of culture was killed, yeah. and then was the coronavirus, and so and uh, there, there was a level four travel advisory. You couldn't go back and forth, and so just within the last couple of months, so this is five years old at this point, mm -hmm. things started to kick in again. And so one of the great things about the International Service Committee of Downtown Rotary is that I have three past presidents on my committee of 15 mm -hmm. that are able to help steer and they know people and they've yeah. you know been there and done that to help us to help us succeed and so while that one um, certainly it was a it was a rough one to start with mm -hmm. um, we've actually completed uh, three more in the in this in the years subsequent to that and also currently have one that we're getting ready to start as well. So one of the great things, too, about Cedar Rapids Downtown Rotary is that 
you know, we're in the top 25 uh, largest clubs in America. We're the largest one in Iowa and in the top 35 in the world in terms of membership. And so the way I see the International Service Committee that the at work that the Cedar Rapids Downtown Rotary does is it's really a privilege that we have the we have the budget frankly and the membership that is willing to be so philanthropic and uh, contribute to these projects because we're literally changing the lives of people not only all around the world uh, one year at a time mm. but also a couple of years ago here in uh, northeast Iowa so everything we're district 5970 mm-hmm. in the northeast uh, part of Iowa and uh, so a couple of years ago, we had a district governor, Michelle Bell, and her project, she said, you know, I want to bring international, uh, international funds to um, here to Eastern Iowa. And so in order to make this happen, you have to have an international club sponsor. Okay. And so we found a sponsor in India who was able to uh, make this happen and made a contribution to this. And... What they did was um, provide medical and dental supplies, equipment specifically, to federally qualified health centers in uh, in eastern Iowa, in Cedar Rapids and Waterloo and Dubuque and Mason City. And so things like um, dental chairs and vaccination freezers and... Uh, ultrasounds for pregnant women. And so we really base this, there are six pillars of Rotary, and one of the six pillars is maternal and child health. And so we wrote the grant around that, and it was successful. It was uh, almost exactly $200,000, and the equipment is still in use today. So that was three years ago. And uh, that's, it's very impactful. That's cool to see the, the connections go back and forth. It is really unusual, and it was something that Michelle was very proud of, and and I'm Mm -hmm. proud of her, too, for thinking of it, uh, to try to bring international dollars here, because you think, well, gosh, we're one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Why would we want to do that? But it's because people, by and large, don't realize the the amount of poverty that exists right here in our own community and in Northeast Iowa. I'd love to open it up just a little bit and talk about uh, the the legacy of international service with our club. I know that's that's been a big piece of our history. Is that, um, you know, just from a leadership standpoint, why why has that been so important for downtown Rotary? Why, you know, why do you feel passionate about that? I think I feel passionate about it because it is, it it really does provide an an opening into a different part of the world that we than what we experience. You know, I was I was listening uh, to everybody talk, and I think one of the more challenging things about international projects is that they have they have a time limit. You know, they okay. they really only last for anywhere from one to four years, and then they're they're done. Mm-hmm. And and it's very hard to um, try to get a project to the point where it is self sufficient. Where or, or able to, they're able to raise money to keep going, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's a challenge that we that we all have to deal with when we think about these projects. The water project, it's interesting. There are lots and lots of rotaries across this country and in other countries that do water projects in Africa and um, India, third world countries primarily. Um, 
a lot of water projects. And those can, although years is taking five years, most of the time they, they can go in, drill a well, get the water going, and then you're out again. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it, it's a very short-term project. But you know, when, when you think about the project that we did with A Promise of Health, that one was a difficult one to, to um, let go because it, it really left them kind of struggling for many years in terms of how to pay doctors, how to get, uh, how to pay for supplies, how to, you know, how to, how to keep providing healthcare. Joe, I'm wondering if, if you could talk a little bit, obviously without maybe getting in the weeds, I don't want to get you in trouble with RI or anything, but talk about some of the, <laughs> the challenges of, or, or what it takes to push some of these big projects forward. You're talking about a sponsors we need, um, obviously, there's a funding piece, applications, I'm sure. Just talk a little bit about what that is like trying to get something like this off the ground. Well, first of all, you have to have an international sponsor. And a lot of times that happens, as Lee talked about going to the Rotary International Convention. I'm getting ready to go to the International Convention yeah. in Houston, so not as exciting as probably where you went, Lee. But um, it's, <laughs> it's going to be literally in three weeks. And so that's, that's going to be an opportunity to interact with people from all over the world. They're expecting 20,000 attendees from all over the world. And so, uh, and that, that's how Michelle, for example, was able to connect with this group in India. But you're right. I mean, the first, the first and foremost component is you've got to have a sponsor and they've got to have some money. And so, you know, a realistic initial sponsor could be five to $10,000. Okay. And so, for example, <clears throat> this year and for the next two years subsequent to this, um, we have, we're, we're initiating in Malindi, Kenya, Africa, a, a, a literacy and numeracy and um, and microloan program for 800 families. Oh, and wow. so the first year is going to be teaching people literacy so that they understand commerce and how to work with that. And then, we'll, and then they, will be teach, they will be taught numeracy and how to financially transact and make sure that they're not being swindled and that they understand how to begin rudimentary banking. Mm-hmm. And then the third year will finally be uh, doing microloans within their own clubs. And I, when I say microloans, it may be 50 cents to buy a, a farm animal, similar to like the Heifer Project, but on a really individual sure. basis. So a family trying to learn to raise chickens or um, have goat milk, that kind of thing. And so, um, but you're right, it, you know, the funding piece is critical. It's also very typical that we will have anywhere from 15 to 30 sponsors. Some of those, uh, most of those typically are other clubs. So for this project right now, so the Cedar Rapids Downtown Rotary had the seed money this year and made a pledge for the next two years of $5,000 for each one of those years to be the, to be the in-country sponsor. Uh, We have a club in Virginia. We have a club in California. We have a club in Canada that have already, have already pledged, although it's not, we're not quite there yet to actually write the check. Um, But that, that gets that started. And there's the potential for a district match, so a District 5970 match, okay. as well as the Rotary International World Fund match oh, wow. there, too. And so you've got to have the money, and then you've got to have a needs assessment. And, you know, I remember the very first time I attended a grant workshop 30 years ago on how to write a grant, and the speaker came up and she said this. She said, if you take nothing from this grant writing workshop today, but this, it's the most important. And she said, there are three things you have to remember. Make it compelling make it compelling, 
make it compelling. <laughs> sure. And so that's really true. I mean, you have to be able to not only these days, not just write a great grant, but back it up with data mm. and show a needs assessment that you know that this will be enduring and will genuinely make a positive impact in the lives of people. I think. And, and so you're saying some of these projects that have 15, 30 sponsors, is a lot of that happening from the conventions? Is there other ways that you're making it, those connections? It, it happens through that. It also happens through, um, like I said, the, the six pillars of Rotary. Mm -hmm. um, there are um, there are Rotary action groups. Mm, yes. And so, for example, we did two, uh, we did two projects um, in teaching a non-surgical method to create, to correct clubfoot, one in uh, Venezuela and one in Argentina. Okay. And um, the first one we did, it was almost $200,000 uh, that we raised through all these different clubs yep. and funding mechanisms in order to train 28 orthopedic surgeons um, in in country, and so uh, the Ponsetti method is was created by Dr. Ponsetti yep. down at the University of Iowa back in the 50s and 60s, and it was really he had a lot of criticism about it because uh, it was non-surgical, and I was very fortunate to go be able to spend a half a day down there a few years ago and see uh, Dr. Um, Morquende is Jose Morquende, who is uh, Dr. Ponsetti has passed, okay. and he is now the head of that uh, that project. And he personally goes all around the world and trains orthopedic surgeons to do this. And the way they do it is, um, if a child is born with a club foot, which means that their feet are typically 90 degrees from where they should be, mm -hmm. uh, over the course of five to seven weeks, they literally take a plaster cast that costs less than $5, and they gently stretch that foot and the ligaments there, and they recast it. And they have the, kid, the kiddo come back the next week, and they stretch it a little farther, or further, farther, and um, cast it again, and do that again for, like I said, five to seven weeks. And that's it. It's amazing. You know, so uh, when you talk about Rotary International and going to the international meetings, yeah. That's where you learn a lot of these things. It's extraordinary what Rotary Clubs across the world do for other people, both in their communities, in their, in their countries, in, and in other countries. It really, it's a, it's, it was one of the best learning experiences that I'd ever had, uh, and seeing and experiencing what all these other clubs do all over the world. I got to go to Seoul, South Korea with Nance, and uh, they had to have two plenary sessions because they couldn't get everyone in the room at the same time. I think our number was more like 50,000. Oh, my. I mean, it was in Asia, and it was very popular back then, but it was just a huge job. But Lee is... Lee is right. What you what you pick up at those sessions um, yeah. is pretty interesting. I went to the president-elect's luncheon and sat down, and the gentleman sat down beside me, and I introduced myself, and he introduced himself, and he was from Des Moines. <laughs> <laughs> and his name was Jay Tone. I'll never forget. I oh, said, Jay, kidding. Jay what, do you, what do you do that's yeah, unique in well. your club? And he said... Uh, he said, well, you know, twice a year we meet, uh, as Paul Harris did, in businesses' locations. 
and we used to do that here. We haven't done it for a while, a while. I think. Mm -hmm. But that's been that was very interesting. We came back. That was my idea that yeah. I brought back, and you know, we did it for years. And different companies would host, and they'd tell about what they did, and that's the way we started. Uh, you know, in in Chicago. And but. when when I went, I was talking to somebody. I can't even remember where they were from. Someplace in the United States, not, but not in Iowa. And they said how important it was to that everybody in our clubs understand the history of Rotary, right. and that and I introduced in my year Rotary Moment, uh, so that it would be somebody would get up and give a one minute yeah. talk about some small snippet of history of, of Rotary, so people would hear it over and over and over again, and I think that has been you, you still do that, correct? Yeah, it it really makes a big difference in in terms of not only um, learning about the organization, but understanding what is important about the organization and why, you know, why we all belong, what the purpose is. It, and it, it's really great. I went to, um, we had a Twin Cities uh, Rotary International meeting when I went. It was in Copenhagen, Denmark, and Malmo, Sweden. And I think it was about the first time that two cities from different countries had hosted the Rotary International meeting, and um, it was very interesting the way in which they did it. They you had to go across a bridge to do some things, and so most of it was in Copenhagen, but some of it was in Malmo, Sweden, and it, and it was a very interesting uh, way in which to host a meeting. It's, it seems very metaphorical having to cross the bridge and then get to the other side. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this I mean this might be kind of a softball, but I think. It, it's something I've been thinking about um, as a Rotarian and as a citizen. You know, I, I feel like this is a time in our nation's history where a lot of folks, uh, where our politics are turning inward, um, where we're maybe focused a little more at home. Um, we, we don't want to focus internationally as much. Um, you know, you hear we have our own problems to solve. I'm just wondering if you can make that case or talk about why is it so important to be global citizens and engage? Why is that important? Well, I, I really feel that Rotary, being an international group, and it truly is, has a... Hold that thought. I'm sorry. I just want to yes. let... Thanks, Jim. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thank you, Jim. Jim. Have a good and weekend. Have a talk no, 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 you're fine. you got yeah. big shoes to fill there, Joe. That's right. <laughs> that's right. What's Joe's literally in... That's right. Oh, okay, one more. Yeah, these yeah. are big shoes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you meant, you meant <laughs> metaphorically. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were talking <laughs> yeah. about big feet, Thanks, Jack. everyone, for doing this. Appreciate you it. You bet. All right, take care. <laughs> have a good weekend. I'm going to get out here and get the door. Yeah, I'm following Barb Randall. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know... I'm going to need a He's couple of phone That's By right. By the way, that we need some was phone a books. really timely and nice article about Barb in the Gazette. Yes, it was. Page. Yep. And, you know, that's quite an accomplished young lady. Yes, it is. And uh, quite a tenacious young lady to stick with that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the thing that I noticed uh, in traveling around in different countries, uh, one time we were with Governor uh, Ray and... and uh, his wife in France in uh, doing a ec economical development. We started the Committee of 100. And uh, so we were in uh, Arcachon, the wine country. And uh, we went to a very, very small area that was a little farm area of grape growers. So you would think, you know, a little farm 
uh, group. And uh, the four of us went in as guests, and we were just traveling around the country there, and we were pretty casually dressed like this. And it was a noon luncheon, and we walked in, and all of the members are in tuxedos <laughs> at noon in this little farm community. And we were welcomed with open arms, and we, they were so interested in the fact that we were from the United States, and they had all sorts of questions about uh, different parts of the United States and, and that kind of thing. And then it came up at the end, and their big project was the Polio Plus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And here we are. We're out in the middle, literally, of nowhere. I mean, the, the village probably was a village of 500 people, at the, maybe 1,000, but it was very small. And here we were, Polio Plus. And that, that was an international thing that, that uh, Rotary literally conquered polio. I think I read someplace, it's come up a little since then, but one year, not too long ago, there were eight cases of polio reported in the world. Now, now due to the fact that people are choosing not to be vaccinated uh, against some of these things, it's, it's gone up a little. But I mean, I just think that that is a, a true sign of how international our Rotary Group mm -hmm. is and how important being international is. You, you, you can't just look inwardly. No. And you know, Lee made the point, and it's so true, we take for granted all the things that you just walk up someplace to a fountain and turn the water on and take a drink and walk away, or you do all these things. Uh, you go down into Central or South America or Mexico, and I spent 12 years in Central and South America. And out in, out in most little villages in those days, you didn't have any of these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And we don't realize just how fortunate we are to have all these choices. Maybe we're a little too fortunate for our own good. I'm not sure. sure. Adam, I think it's service over politics. Absolutely. I would agree. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. I would agree. You had a wrinkle. <laughs> um, getting the thing through customs, but it had nothing to do with the club. Uh, but I, I think when you look at the commonality of what happened here, yeah. it's it's service. I think that's a great point. And, and Bob, thank you for bringing up Polio Plus. I think that's just one of the great accomplishments of public health of, of humanity. I mean, um, and I know our club is, does anybody have the number? I know we've raised a, a lot of money for the oh, Polio Plus know. campaign over the years. Um, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more. I mean, oh, we raised a lot of money for 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 that for Paul Phelan. Paul Phelan, yeah. Paul, he just beat it into it. <laughs> Paul. Paul was, you know, Paul was physically a very large person, and I always was sort of wondering whether I ought to say no to him, and I never took the chance. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take the risk. <clears throat> no, he was just so dedicated yep. to that. He yep. really was. Just really was. I'm wondering about. Um, I'm wondering about advice. You know, again, as, as kind of a, a larger club, but we kind of have a leadership position on some of these things. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, maybe Joe or, or anybody that's worked on this, what kind of advice do you have for maybe a a smaller club or, or other organizations that want to try getting involved or want to engage internationally? What you know, what is just kind of some advice or thoughts you have about that? I think um, really. 
picking the brains of other clubs, okay. if you can, at, at a, a national meeting or a statewide meeting. We used to have statewide meetings with presidents and, um, you know, just learning what other clubs are doing. Yeah. Uh, international projects are not easy, but they are wonderfully satisfying. And, um, and you don't have to spend huge amounts of money. You can do water projects, for example, for relatively small amounts of money. Okay. And, um, and they make all the difference in the world to the people sure. for whom you are digging wells. Uh, they don't have to haul water for you know a mile away, and they don't have to uh, they don't have to ration it. I mean, w water is one of the best projects that you could probably do, and one of the easiest. Okay. Um, uh, but there are other I mean there are other things that can be done too. I mean there are all kinds of projects that are done all over the world by Rotary clubs, and the best way to do that is just talk to other other clubs and see what they're doing. <clears throat> I've had that experience, too, where people have reached out and they say, wow, you're doing a, a project again this year. Would you be willing to share the, literally share the work product? And the answer is, of course. Yeah. And even though the, the project may be different, they just need to see the structure and how it's done and, and um, the, the funding sources and how to get the word out and, and all that kind. I mean, mm -hmm. there's, there's, no, there's no secret to it. And, and part of it is that in that spirit of common, the common good and, um, and service over not only self but politics, as Jack said, yeah. that you know, we, we share information. I mean, it's just kind of like the scientific community, only it's the Rotary community. Love that. Any other thoughts on, on how to kind of get engaged or... Well, you know, it. it uh, I think Lee brought up a terrific point. Uh, one year I was president of the, our Chamber of Commerce, and Larry Waller and I went to our national, and we sat down with this young man from uh, Florida that Larry knew, and he was telling us about their business PM program. And he was describing, the, I said, boy, that's a terrific idea. And so we started talking, and I said, we ought to do that, Larry. And this friend of Larry said, well, you know, we built the whole thing. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, I'll mail you. He said, I'll, I'll, you use the name. He, get, he letterheads the whole thing with this business PM. And we came back, and within a week or two, we had it all put together because this fellow suggested it. And it, and it ended up, we did that for years and years. And it, it was a great program, but it was just one of these groups that you go to and and share information and he had no proprietary uh, problems at all he was in tampa i believe and you know he, he said hey i'll just send you all the materials and everything in those days of how to set it up and how we did it and you know you can probably not always tell people exactly what they need to know to do a successful project but just as importantly, you can probably tell them what not to do mm. to avoid a lot of problems. And a lot of times, that's just as important. That's a great point, Bob. Uh, I'd love to just kind of wrap it up. Joe, I don't want to put you on the spot, but as president-elect, is there anything that you're looking at or that you kind of picture or kind of touches your heart of like, boy, I'd love to get involved with that or, you know, what's out there? Well, I've got a, have been uh, having a few things uh, cooking. Okay, I, I don't, I, I don't want to, you know. So, um, <laughs> and I certainly don't want to steal anybody's thunder too. Uh, sure. 
but I actually am really looking forward to going to the international convention in three weeks and uh, doing exactly what we've all been talking about is seeing talking seeing and talking to people all over the world from all over the world yeah. and finding out you know best practices or innovative things mm-hmm. that that we could do and I could bring back and share and so it really is that international community and international spirit that I'm looking forward to and you'll learn you will <laughs> I'll tell you it's overwhelming it is it really? is huge you can't you cannot take it all in so have a great time thanks i look forward to it <laughs> i think that's a great place to wrap i just um jack joe lee bob thank you so much for just talking about your experiences and sharing with us and uh thanks so much thank you adam thank you adam yeah, thank you adam I hope, the, I hope our rotary club continues yeah absolutely to do that good perfect is there anything I want to always say before we kind of wrap up? Is there anything anybody wants to talk about that we didn't talk about or any topic on your mind that you? Well, yes. Okay. Please. Uh, we had a very awkward experience, <coughs> and we were on a bus, and uh, riding, I don't know, it was uh, to an event. Jack, can we get you on mic, or do you not want to talk about this on? Well, I can do it on mic. Okay, I just want to make sure if you're... No, we were riding on a bus, and there was a, a woman sitting across the aisle from Nance and me of Asian descent. And we were having... She was from California, and very accomplished person. And that night, we were going to uh, a home, I think it was, of, uh, of a Rotarian. I, anyway, what I'm getting to was she wasn't invited. Okay. And for those of you that know my wife, <laughs> she did not deal with that well because she was discriminated against. Right. Now, this was, you know, 40 years ago, but that has changed. Okay. So um, I am so proud that you're doing one of these on women yeah. in, in Rotary because uh, Sam Wallace was... Uh, my predecessor, and we decided that we were going to push this. And we pushed it, and we took it to a vote, and the vote was close. You were there. Um, it was just about uh, 49.9 to 50.1. Wow. Something like that. Yeah. But, I don't know if that was the exact number. To allow yeah. women yeah. in. To allow women in. I mean, it was like 60-40. But. Yeah, but there were a lot of, of mature members that really were not in favor of it. Yeah, so and a number of us went on a recruiting spree, and we said, <laughs> boy, if we're going to have women, we're going to have the best. Yeah. And we got the best, and the uh, cream rose to the top because look at all the people that have been. Oh, but there, there literally were tables that women couldn't. Would not allow women to wouldn't sit not, there. Wouldn't, would not, they'd fill it up and. I'm sorry that seat's taken or something. He's just going to go, wow, that's hard. Now, that's water way over the dam. That, that is. But that's something I'm, I'm particularly proud of our club. Because it was one of the first. It was one of the first. It was one of the first. I think and it, it, was a I, very, it was a very sad night that night on the bus because this woman, and she, she basically was uninvited to go to this event because true. of her gender. And that was kind of a shock. You know, that's hard to believe right now I mean it really when you really stop and think about our society and all everything else is going on but you know that's 
that's 50% of your brain power of your nation, of your city. Oh, it's way more Of than your that. state. <laughs> but, yeah, well, that, you're right. Yeah, exactly. You're right, yeah. Well, Bob's a graduate of Iowa State University, <laughs> and when I was on the Regents, I had the good fortune of sitting with the dean of the veterinary school for lunch one day. Yeah. And his name was John Thompson, so oh, we're just God. talking. And he's got big, <laughs> gnarly hands. He was practicing. And I said, John, I said, how's the class look? Oh, it looks really good. You know, it's incredibly competitive to get in. I said, really? I said, well, what, what's the mix? And he goes, well, it's about... 65, 35, 70, 30, and I went, wow, that's, that's a lot of men. And he looked at me and he went, no. A lot of women. And I said, well, why is that? And he looked me right in the eye and he says, they're smarter. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And Iowa State, he told me, they generate 20% of the large animal vets in the country. Really? Hmm. So when you think about that and you think about this Five foot two woman, you know, going through medical school, figuring out how to deliver a cat. Said so they just figure it out, you know. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's no. I think it's you know. I was we were preparing. We've been doing our prep work for um, the women in Rotary uh, episode that we're going to be recording next week, and I found an old Rotarian. There was like an archived Rotarian feature on the RI site about that they ran when the Supreme Court decision happened, and they anonymously interviewed men, male members, obviously members from uh, around, the, around the country, and I thought it was, it was enlightening. It, it was, blew my mind as a, as a younger member, right? It just seems like a different world, but they had quotes from anonymous men saying, well, now I'm gonna have to find something else to do. Now I'm gonna have to go, well, there goes okay. the world. Be before they, before they let women it. in, we had our own. <laughs> we don't need this. Uh, I have to confess, I, I've been pretty biased my entire life. I grew up with four older sisters, no brothers, two daughters, a wife, and a female dog. And in my entire life, I've, I learned very early, women are much, much more competent than men, particularly in the teenage years. Yeah. You know, teenage boys are, are we were we we're really not very smart. No. And girls seem to be at about age 12, they, uh, they get to be pretty intelligent pretty yeah. quickly and pretty capable. Well, I can tell you, I, my son is one year old and watching my wife go, every, go through everything that we went through, I never questioned her strength or, or oh, women's God, strength no. after that, so. Anyways, thanks for that too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Boy, absolutely. Yeah. You never feel more helpless in your life. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. So, thank you for organizing. Thank hey, you, Adam. Thank you for being a part job. of this. It's no, been it was enjoyable. Great conversation. So, thank, thank you. you so much for for How about coming. Next up? Friday, I think I can come over here on Friday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. for a while. Jack. We, right. we can do it. We can do So that's our podcast episode for today. We hope you enjoyed this look at Rotary International's global presence and how downtown Rotarians are making a difference across the world. A big thanks to Jack Evans, Lee Clancy, Bob Casimore, and Joe Locke for sharing their insights, and to Informatics for recording and producing this series. Learn more about our club at rotaryclubofcedarapids.org or visit us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube by searching for Cedar Rapids Downtown Rotary. I'd like to wrap up with a quote. You make a living by what you get, you make a life by what you give. Thanks for listening.